Real variety for your work day. This is season three of the Fat Doctor podcast and I'm your host, Dr. Asha Lamy. We're going to be talking all things related to weight stigma, fat phobia and fat activism over the next few weeks and months. I'll be joined by a host of regular guests as well as some experts across the fat activism sphere. So all you need to do now is sit down, relax and listen in. What's really bad is if I say welcome to episode eight and it's actually episode nine and then I have to go and <laughs> re-record it and that really pisses me off. But um, let's hope it's episode eight. And uh, today I have with me another very good friend. It's great. It's just conversations with friends at the moment. Um, Ross, I've I've been following you on social media from the beginning of my time on social media. I don't know if you know this, but I think you're one of the really? first people I ever followed. Yeah. And it's ironic because oh. I know you don't spend that much time on social media, but I adore you and I always have. Oh. Um so Ross, you are a uh, cabaret performer. A th- you're a theatre guru. I can't even remember what you told me. I should introduce you as. So perhaps you should introduce yourself. <laughs> See how professional. I'm someone who just took a mouthful of sparkling water. That's who yeah. I am. <laughs> and then, and then you made me talk. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm a cabaret performer, artiste. We mm. like to put the e on the end mm. to make sure we don't get confused with proper artists. Um, Uh, I suppose I make theatre My background is in theatre and performance Teaching it, researching it um, Eventually doing it Um, (laughs) uh, I'm the director of a cabaret club And where I am at the moment In the middle of Belfast city centre I am a fat person in the world Um, My fatness and my performing stuff Have intersected an awful lot Weirdly Perhaps not weirdly, but mm, you know, for me, it's kind of odd. And it's, it's. I think when you perhaps when you started following me, it was probably it might have been because I was I was I was doing a show called Cake Daddy you at, the, at the time where I just finished doing it. So I had been on social media a lot, you know, specifically kind of talking about that and doing that and doing things. Um, and then after that, I was like, oh my word, this is a hellscape. So I'm going to not be on here very much. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best decision, I'm sure, and one you don't regret making. Not really. I mean, I nip on every so often to show off my tits. And <laughs> uh, when I want someone to listen to what I've got to say, yeah, I'll I'll get my top off. Um, <laughs> and wear your wings, because I've actually just seen the wings are here. I've actually I wear seen my wings. Them. The wings are literally behind me. Yeah, oh, I wear my wings um, like like an angel coming down. <laughs> And which is what you are an angel with a filthy mouth which is exactly how I like my angels um but we we have um had many a um a discussion and an interesting discussion I love talking to you it's one of my favorite things it's like oh I'm just gonna chat to Ross today um but one of the things we have been talking about is a book that we both read recently and are mm. still thinking about and talking about and analysing and digesting and going back to, which is um, a book by Jessica Wilson, um, who is a registered dietitian. And uh, this book is amazing. Um, it's it's called It's Always Been Hours, Rewriting the Story of Black Women's Bodies. Talked about it a little bit with Keisha last week. And um, today, <laughs> two, two 
white trans non-binary people are going to be talking all about a book <laughs> written by a black woman for black women about black women mm-hmm. so <laughs> but actually we both agreed that this was a, a fantastic book for us both to read because it decenters us immediately because mm-hmm. you're very conscious of the fact that you are entering a space that really wasn't designed for you and you're very lucky and you're very fortunate and privileged to be able to sit and listen and learn but it's really got very little nothing really to do with you which I really enjoyed about the book and I know you said something similar so um tell me what you like just tell me what you thought of the book because you said it really well last time we were talking um I can't remember what I said the last time we were talking so now I'm raging with myself but (laughs) I loved the book I'm so grateful that it was written Mm. I'm so grateful that I got to hear it Mm. um I'm I'm someone like a uh my work who keeps sort of one toe in in the academy as it were in academia um because again it's an awful hellscape of a place but I do love I'm just naturally nosy so I love knowing about things and what people think about things and how they pertain to the world around us um and so um works that have that have talked about bodies fatness diets and race have been some of my favorite books before like Sabrina Strings book for example um but there's something about Jessica's book. Look at me calling her Jessica, like we're best mates. I know. Um, it's embarrassing. I keep doing that as well. I know. <laughs> but she is really lovely. And I posted mm. about it on Instagram and she sent me a message thanking me, which is just so lovely. Like she didn't need to do that. Oh my mm. God. Um, so Jessica, my best friend, goodness <laughs> Ross, catch yourself on. Um, she takes so much the dense, 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 complex theory and cultural theory, critical theory, and so many really complex phenomena and makes those not only accessible, but um, but she makes them much easier to integrate on a sort of holistic level, like not just on an intellectual level, but literally in my body, I got much more of a sense of what it was like. Mm. Um for black women to be living in the United States mm. at the minute. Um, and that's something that intellectually I'd sort of understood for, you know, as long as I've been reading things, I suppose. Um, it's something I try to understand and try to, you know, uh, to put some time and and as much work as I possibly, you know, as much as I'm capable of <laughs> in understanding. But that book singularly just made everything go, Click, 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 mm. into place. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, it it was extraordinary, mm. truly extraordinary. Like I it, I processed it and integrated it in a way that I've never been able to do before with another book. Mm. Um, and selfishly, I mean, <laughs> hold my privilege. My whiteness shines through. Um, it came at. It came at an extraordinarily appropriate time for me. Um, and again, I know it's not about me, but it did help me mm. in a moment where I was pretty um, pretty deep into a, a sort of a stagnation. 
Um, and I think reading something that sort of created and gave space to process the machinations of you know, a white supremacist cishet patriarchy um, was extraordinarily helpful. And I'm delighted that she wrote it on that level as well. But also, even whilst I was engaging with the book, um, she didn't let me get away with starting to center myself mm. in that as I was doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and and she did that with wit and with yeah. warmth and with humor and also with just straight facts that mm. were brutal and mm. not and not holding back. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not saying she softened anything for anyone. Quite the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> there was softening in there. Yeah, the wit and the humor were on her terms. Yes, and that was wonderful. It was, and 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 there is an extraordinary amount of humor in it, and and you do. I mean, literally, I was laughing out loud, which I, I I do sometimes sort of smile when I'm reading books, but it's it's not very often, especially nonfiction books where I'll be reading and then I'll just start laughing hysterically. And the, I'm not going to give any of it away, but I will give a little bit of it away. There is there there are some moments there, and and actually the last, I would say, I don't know, the last ten pages of the book just literally had me all out like rolling with laughter because it was really funny but actually what she's doing is she's imagining a life where she has the freedom to essentially exist uh without kind of white supremacy constantly trying to 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 oppress and harm her she's talking about a life where she can essentially be as free as a white woman mm-hmm. and and the way she narrates that is just really, really funny, but also very poignant. So you can laugh, but also still sort of, you know, very be very much conscious of the fact that, oh, gosh, a lot of those things she's talking about are things that I have participated in as a white person. And so, like you say, she kind of holds that mirror up in front of you, even when she's really being funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but at the same time, I definitely... I feel exactly the same way. There were moments where I was like, oh, I could really relate to that. And then I was like, no, I can't. Nope. No, I, I cannot. Can't. <laughs> I cannot relate to that at all. But I hear it. And yep. it, for the first time in my, like, I hear it. I've always had, as you said, you know, reading to read a strings book for me was was so eye-opening. And it was a challenging book to read. I'm not going to lie. It was a very academic book. Yeah. I had to to go in small paces I definitely listened to the audiobook because I, I actually needed the audiobook to read that one mm-hmm. because it because of who it was written for I mean it was it was her style of writing and what she was doing and she achieved an incredible feat I think in that book it's it's, it's quite remarkable um and so uh, that made me realize just uh how it was impossible to talk about anti-fatness without talking about anti-blackness without without relating it back to its origins which you know was was very much part of uh, the you know the formation of America and white supremacy and the formation of white supremacy essentially. So yeah. it, it you know it it changed my life. Um, I've written I've read books. Um, I've read Deshaun Harrison's Belly of the Beast, which again is an amazing book. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. sounds like them. Like I I read it and I I hear them and their voice shining through that book. Yeah. Um, I've read, I recently read a book called Heavy by, now I'm going to say Kise Lehman's um, name wrong, and I apologise to Kise or anyone else that I'm offending by mispronouncing. Brilliant book. Uh, and also biographical book that, uh, you know, actually Deshaun 
quotes and that's why I read the book and I think even um, Jessica quotes actually quite a few people have quoted this book in their book and so I read that book and it again brilliant but uh, um, this one much more autobiographical really painful to just read and sit with but also it was one of those books that actually got me to feel the stuff that I knew in my head but like Mm -hmm. to actually feel and experience it and and be you know in in that moment with with the narrator but Definitely. Um, one of the first things that Jessica says, it's in page five, and I know this because I highlighted it. Um, it might not be for page five, to be fair, it might just be page five on my book, but it's, it's in the beginning. Um, she's talking, giving an example of, uh, I can't remember who it was. It's not Lexi. But anyway, um, one of her clients who says, I can't be the only black person in my class and also be fat. Yeah. She was a uh, an engineer or an engineering mm-hmm. student, an someone engineer, who postgrad, I think, or graduate yeah. student, I think they said instead. Yeah. So very much in a white male cisgender heteronormative patriarchal world. I mean, you know, women in STEM is hard to find. Women in black women in STEM almost impossible to find. So. Mm-hmm. When she said that, it was just such a simple statement. I cannot be the only black person in my class and also be fat. I can't be both. To me, I, I think I was caught at the, in that moment because I just thought, whoa, that really slapped me right in the face. Yeah. And it, I've, I've talked about this to, to people. I've talked about this to black women um, since then. And, and I'm, you know, that is who this is all about. But this idea that <laughs> if you're already in a marginalized body for whatever reason, and especially if you're one that is so openly and visibly um marginalized in the sense that you can look at someone and you can tell it's that you can't you can't hide being black right and especially because being black is is you know if we're looking at the caste system and she talks about the caste system in this book doesn't she she talks about Kimberly Lawson Ooh, maybe I forget the name the person who wrote the book cast now have you read cast yet I have not. I've got to read cast that's like literally next on my book because quite a few people are talking about cast instead of race and yeah. and the caste system and sort of race and I'm fascinated to know how you know I know a little bit about the caste system from India and from that yeah. area of the world but I'm fascinated to know how she apparently relates it to America and to Nazi Germany and, and she uses the caste system to explain you know other times in history and other places so I'm fascinated to learn about that and that was such a tea tangent but um yeah this idea of being visibly marginalized and then being fat as well mm-hmm. um i guess this is not about the book now this is about your experience and my experience um we're both trans we're both non-binary how's that been for you mate being uh visibly because <laughs> it's not like you can hide it although sometimes i guess maybe you can hide it and you do hide it um i think uh being i've always i've never been able to hide my queerness mm. even before i knew what that was um i think the first time i heard the word queer used in a non-pejorative way was by a a sort of a, a like a visiting lecturer to my undergrad degree in like 2001 or 2002 um I did a drama degree in in Queens um, just after uh, the 
Good Friday Agreement and stuff here started in the year 2000. So, um, but it was still very, I mean, it's, it's still reasonably conservative. Um, <laughs> reasonably conservative. I am hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very conservative. But I, so I've never been able to hide my faggotry, my, you know, my queerness, my girlishness. Um, I used to call Jenny Ann a lot. Um, I spent a lot of time not being able to man properly mm. um, as a kid, and that became tied very much to my fatness. Mm. Um, just as a list of my failures, really, uh, in life. Um, like I was bright, so I, you know, could do things well in school, but um, nothing really compared to being able to be thin and to man properly. And I never, ever achieved either of those. Mm. As I've got older, I'm 41 now, um, I've stopped trying to do either. As I continue to try and live in that way, I face roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, as we all do mm. in life in general, but in, in specifically in those ways. But I keep finding... I keep finding ways, ways of being me that I didn't know I was doing that are very connected to my fatness and my gender. I keep, you know what I mean? I keep stumbling across things that I'm like, oh, why do I feel like that? That's, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, that's because I, I still think I'm too fat to do that or too, um, too queer to do that. Okay. Okay. Right. Damn it. I thought I had this sorted. Apparently this is ongoing and you have to just keep doing it for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, because you're doing it for the rest of your life in a world that is just framework upon framework upon framework. Mm -hmm. Like the scaffolding upon which the world is built <laughs> is telling you to do the opposite to what you're doing, which is just trying to live an authentic life as a fat queer person. Mm. Um, and I sometimes can hide it. But my version of hiding it is to put on a women's shirt, um, which is a ridiculous concept anyway, but you know what I mean? A women's <laughs> shirt, a pair of women's dungarees and a little pair of trainers. So do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I look like one of my fabulous lesbian friends and I can cope with that then. But, right. you know, I mean, you understand having, you know, being I'm people can't see me, but I have a beard. I am. Uh, have a very little hair um and the beard's quite big just because i like my beard but mm. um so people assume man very quickly yes very very quickly which is if I, I mean, i'm not blaming those people i'm not saying that you know fine um but i wish we lived in a world where people didn't um so if they see dungarees and the shirt they're like okay yeah fine whatever that's a man will not will not be violent towards mm. that person. Um, but trying to decide, I'm sure you understand this as well, trying to decide between um, putting on clothes that don't make you want to vomit over yourself and putting on clothes that aren't going to get you killed on the way home. Mm. It's not ideal. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. What a lovely I mean, way to put are, that. Those are reasonable exaggerations, but also not exaggerations. You know, like I, you know, I, I get taxis a lot of places in this town 
because I've just walking home from work, you know, I've had bottles and bricks and things thrown at me and have been attacked and whatever, you know. Yeah, no, um, I mean. In a very the, material sense, like the not safe. <laughs> yes. And I think people don't get that. I, don't, I think people think, oh, the world is has accepted queerness uh, and transness to a degree, which is ludicrous. It's, I'd say, more violent now than it's been for a while. It um, is. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's from just from personal experience, but also from the statistics when you look at how many um, hate crimes are reported, mm. um, and those are just the ones that are reported. Mm. Um, yeah. I do think there's much more acceptance of a particular type of straight-sized white um, cis boy, yes, or approximate thereof, yes, <laughs> um, in drag. That's sort of more acceptable, even though I know that's still being attacked by the right. Mm. Um, there is a space for that, that um, because it's been proven to be useful within capitalism, uh, it <laughs> there's space for that and that people can sort of understand that. But when they sort of encounter a fat, hairy person doing all of the gender at once, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> all the, do you have gender? Do you have gender you don't want to do? Because I'll, I will do it for you. No bother. Like, <laughs> gonna get a timetable, put it up. I love that because that is exactly the best way to describe doing all the gender, all of the all gender, of all, all of the of time, it. like yep. everything, everywhere. What's the name of the film? Yes, so everything everywhere all at once. All at once. All the That's gender everywhere all, all at once. All gender. I love it. That's so true. Um, we were just before we started recording talking about um, getting your tits out, um, mm-hmm. and I was remarking about well, you you know you you talked about getting your tits out whenever you want to get people to take you seriously, which I love. Um, I very much enjoy it when you do. I, every picture you ever post when they're out, I'm like, so, 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 I salute. I, I like him in, instantly. Um, but, but but actually, this. Um, you know, freeing breasts uh, has and breasts in general have been really difficult for me to kind of get my head around. And, you know, like you talk about that kind of, oh, where's that coming from? Oh, yeah, no, it, there you go. It's always comes back to the intersection between fat phobia and transphobia and, mm. and maybe, uh, you know, homophobia or you know, queer phobia as well. But predominantly for me, it's it's fat phobia and and then I guess also that that kind of misogyny that actually women even women are not allowed to get their breasts out like no. the breasts must be hidden uh because mm-hmm. they're somehow different to men's chests you know they're they're somehow sexual which is odd because I've spent a lot of my time breastfeeding babies there's absolutely nothing sexual about my boobs yeah I felt like a cow the entire time um and and so there is that hypocrisy that kind of bullshit mm-hmm. hypocrisy but then of course I was saying that men have breasts or, you know, I don't know whether you want to call them breasts or, you know, they, they, yes, they're breasts, they do. And um, we never see that ever in the media. And and if and if we do see that, it's seen as a sort of like, you know, there's that kind of uglification or, or people will look at it as a, we're either laughing at it or we're supposed to be shocked or titillated by it. But it's never just to be like, there's a man with his top off and let's just carry on. Yeah. Um, and so as a as a trans masculine person who's trying to navigate kind of gender dysphoria i really have a lot of issues with my breasts but i have to keep reminding myself that men 
can and do have breasts and that's okay but when you've been taught that men have pecs and flat chests and a lot of the trans masks that you see are having them surgically removed which by the way have no issue with but or or and and, you know and then have these kind of very developed kind of pectoral muscles and they're Mm. on t then as someone who isn't on any of these things or doesn't even qualify for top surgery you're like well this is nightmare um and i hate it and that's because i have large breast tissue because i'm fat um and also because you're not supposed to have breast tissue when you're masculine and again because that's because of fat phobia so god it's bloody complicated isn't it it's it is weirdly complicated and sorry to talk about myself again but it's been about three minutes since i've spoken about myself and it's a, very long time. I mean, it's a very long it's far too long frankly mm. i'm not mm. gonna lie to you um <laughs> <laughs> but um I've had instances in the in the cabaret club in which I'm really fortunate to work. Um, we're sort of uh, we make we make stuff for commercial audiences. There's a lot of drunk white women up in here. There are some hand parties. There mm-hmm. are, but also then a mixture of you know, um, eighty year olds having their birthday parties and loving loving it mm-hmm. and I'm very grateful for that and a lot of our you know a lot of our um our cast and crew are queer um they're disabled they're you know with everybody is up in, mm-hmm. <laughs> up in this damn place but the show itself is pretty queer and it's a space where they the straight people will come and join in with mm-hmm. our way of enjoying ourselves with our joy they can plug into it they can enjoy it but they're not coming to laugh at the freaks, you know? Mm. Um, and I'm very, I'm very grateful to the guy who owns the place called Eamon, he's class, um, for sort of letting me take that in that direction. I mean, it works for him too, because people keep coming back and they enjoy that. Um, but it's very much on our terms, how they're enjoying that. That being said. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a but. Um. I have been in a show in here that has been complained about because I got my tits out through a mesh dress. I don't think I even had my wings on at that point, but, um, and I have noticed this several, several times and in several ways, but this complaint in particular was going on about me getting my tits out essentially and how inappropriate it was. This was in a show with two cis women who were burlesque artists who went down to pasties. Um, I wish we lived in a world where, you know, women's nipples could just be out, but uh, fair. And also um, a male dancer who performed topless for part of his routine. The male dancer was straight-sized, sort of had that sort of, you know, um, toned body. Mm. I don't know what people call that. I love that there's hand movements here, people. You can't see the hand movements, but we know the hand movements. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that body. Yeah. Toned. <laughs> toned. <laughs> Toit. <laughs> like a tiger. At, I don't know how people talk about that. Yeah. Um, and the complaint mentioned nothing about them. Mm. Nothing at all. But... I I was fat and had and was feminizing myself, and that 
was too much, mm. too much to hold. So that was inappropriate. Wow. The other sort of forms of nudity yeah. were fine. Yeah. But that was inappropriate. Yeah. It's also funny whenever I do that and people, I'll come out and people will laugh. And I have a, I realize in that moment, I have about 15 to 20 seconds to take that laugh and make them realize that they can laugh at the fact that I'm out there in this fabulous thing and it looks gorgeous, but they're not laughing at the fact I'm not laughing at myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I did a show once in a place here with a, a friend of mine who was in, she was in Coronation Street at the time and she put on a show here and she asked me to come and sing with her and I sang with her and wore one of those dresses that have my tits out. And afterwards in the, um, in the foyer, a woman was talking to my mate, Kerry, what's her name? And she, the woman was like, I mean, and when Ross came out of there, I just said, there's a person who just doesn't take themselves too seriously at all. <laughs> and Kerry's response in that moment was wonderful. She was just like, pardon? Oh no! Oh, they take themselves very seriously. The amount Love of thought it. that went into choosing that frock mm. was very serious. <laughs> I mean, they're good crack, but don't don't confuse that with not taking. Like they look yes. gorgeous in that frock, yeah. and the one was like, "Oh, I mean, yes, I mean, of course, I mean, of course, yes, like, yeah, like, no, you're not laughing at the fatty. Mm. You're relearning what it is to look at a fat body in this moment. Mm. Well, fuck up and get on with it. You've worked today. Come on." <laughs> That's actually, re- I mean, that's, there's so many layers to that when I'm thinking about it, because I imagine that can feel very, um, I, oh, well, I don't know, I, 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 you tell me, this is me guessing, but I think owning uh, that your body and saying this is what it looks like and I am going to dress it however I want and uh, I'm going to parade my body the way that I want to and sing and dance and do all the things that I want to do and you will laugh because I'm fucking hilarious, yes. not because you're laughing at me. You will laugh because I'm intelligent enough mm-hmm. to create this kind of very powerful statement, but in a humorous way that makes you laugh. Because laughter is a great way to learn. And yeah. actually going back to the book, that's exactly what we're saying. Um, I feel like there's only so much I can say as a white person about this book. So yeah. I've been very careful about how I talk about it. But, but again, Jessica is making, again, my friend too, my mate. We've talked. Yeah. We've, I've, I've slid into her DMs. Our mate Jessica. Our mate Jessica. Um, <laughs> she was fan, darling. <laughs> it's embarrassing, is it? I don't care. I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed. No, nope, not even a bit embarrassed. Not at all. Um, so she, um, you know, she does that as well. She, she, she's not inviting you to laugh at her. Not at all. There's nothing to laugh at. But she is intelligent enough and capable enough of of turning something very serious into something quite amusing, which allows people to engage and and to be part of it and to sort of lose that tension maybe, especially if you're not a black person and you're reading this mm. book, you know, you, you might feel quite tense throughout the book, but then the laughter just makes you kind of go, oh, actually. And then you can engage with it better. And I imagine that that's, that must feel quite powerful for you being able to do that, being capable of doing that. That's quite an impressive thing. But then I still think there must be moments where, I don't know if it were me, I would find that it, it still fed into some of my insecurities. Have you have you worked all of them out or do you still have insecurities, Ross? Tell the truth. Oh, I, I, ha, I still have a huge amount of insecurities. Um, They're a bit like the Babadook. Do you know, I sort of keep them in a little box in the cellar 
and you know, I can't eschew them. I can't get rid of them entirely. I never will be able to, mm-hmm. because I live in the world that tells me I should have insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like you can't tell me shit when I'm on that stage. I am gorgeous, and mm-hmm. I, you um, uh, and I'm powerful, and I'm also strong enough to be vulnerable in front of people. Mm. Um, in a way. Obviously, in a way that is reasonably controlled, you, you know, within the environment. But um, it's a great way of it's a great way of navigating and negotiating my insecurities mm-hmm. um, about my body and about beauty, mm-hmm. um, and about re- also realizing how tied to whiteness and able-bodiedness and all of those other fucking horrible things in the world beauty actually is Hmm. you know what I mean um and I think that's something else the the book did wonderfully which was um which was sort of giving an embodied sensation of of those of those beauty standards that are that you know started in the 1500s um (laughs) and that we're still stuck with but even the very notion that beauty ought be prized mm. above other things is fucking preposterous. So I like to kind of explode that notion of beauty as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, as well as feeling beautiful and feeling like I look great because what I'm wearing and how I'm wearing it coincide with the person I want to be seen as. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um which is more difficult off stage. Yeah. On stage, it's, you know, one can do that relatively easily. Yeah. To nip to Tesco, not so much. <laughs> so true. That the it's the it's actually for me is actually the nipping to Tesco and the real very much every day, you know, and it's I, I think if I'm going somewhere and you know there's always that preparation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out, I'm going to an event, I'm going to be speaking. So then there's the preparation and there's sort of almost putting, putting on, you know, my mum used to call it putting her face on, but I I don't do makeup, but it is that kind of putting on my armor and feeling good about myself. But when I'm probably to Tesco's and I'm literally lucky if I've got out my pajamas, um, that's when I feel at my most vulnerable. I'm doing life and people are staring at me and they are staring at me all the time. And I I find, um, Because I'm in this kind of, well, until very recently, what would have been described as a very cisgender heteronormative relationship. It never was um, really deep down inside. Um, We've always been really lucky in our relationship that we've always assumed the opposite, dare I say, gender roles, traditional Mm. gender roles. Uh, So ours was never a particularly sort of quote unquote normal relationship but on the outside you see two people walking down the street with their children and you know one appears to be male and a man and the other seems to be a woman and so it's you know cisgender heteronormative relationship uh so now the way that I dress and carry myself is as masculine as I am able to be in the body that I am without uh using testosterone or having surgery so there are certain things about me like I don't have a beard I would love one but don't have one and I'll never have one without testosterone and I have um you know I I I don't have these traditional masculine features that everyone would associate with masculinity so people still read me as woman uh but 
something's not quite right with this woman what's happening here because it's mm. you know this is beyond just having short hair this is someone who is dressed in men's clothes and uh and so people i'm i'm, I'm a you know people look at me as if constantly as if to say what are you what would it literally what are you yeah um and I feel that the most at Tesco's and when I'm, you know, popping to the pet shop to get pet food or, or stuff like that, where I feel it the most. And I'm trying to ignore it, but it's really hard to ignore it. And then, as you said, there is the threat of violence. I am getting a shit ton of violence online. Just yeah. today, I've been called a groomer at least six times. Uh, they're particularly interested in me today. Uh, I'm a paedophile. I'm a groomer. Oh, I'm, I'm so a pervert. Well, but you know what? It comes with the territory and that, you know, mm. I get it. But actually, as a okay. trans masculine person, I probably get it much less than trans femmes, to be fair, because they are, I'd say, very much the <clears throat> epicenter of this transphobia <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. Um People are referring to it as a genocide. I'm not sure how I, I haven't really thought about that word in the context of transphobia, but it's fucking brutal, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but slightly moving off topic, something I've really wanted to ask you, because I very rarely get to do this. The fat activism world is predominantly made up of women, mm-hmm. uh, queer women, um, and um black women generally the only people i follow disabled women um but there just aren't that many men <laughs> and and by men i don't just mean you know um cisgender men but i mean uh, anyone that was assigned male at birth or um you know has some connection to man male um i, I don't know if you've noticed it. it is a cisgender woman kind of environment and do you feel that even in that space anyone that isn't in you know fit into that majority can feel excluded or how does it feel being a non cisgender woman not a cisgender woman in a um, yeah so i yeah when i came to fat activism i came to it pretty late in my life i think i was in my mid 30s hmm. um and it was to create a show, which ended up being the show Cake Daddy. Um, and it was the stuff I, it was, hmm. Charlotte Cooper was one of the first people whom I read. Mm-hmm. Um, I read her book about fat activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and... which was fantastic and very queer and very, it gave me a nice sort of understanding and, and, um, and sort of a good basis for what, for what was, for what was going on. Um, And then trying to, trying to find things to read and talk about was, it was, it was weird. The people I, I sort of encountered first, were thin or straight-sized white women. Yeah. And was like, oh. <laughs> um, and in my... I bought into some of that for a little while. Mm. And not that thin white women are necessarily bad, just to be very clear. <laughs> You don't want to alienate too much of your audience. No, you need these people to come to the camera. They're fantastic. No, my best friends are thin white women. <laughs> but, uh, 
I'll be friends with anyone. Do you know what I mean? I, some of my friends are Methodists. I have no problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I kind of, I think I sort of fell for the authority that comes with that yeah. immediately. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, well, this person's saying this, therefore it must be true. Whereas if a fat person's saying it, even to me and my sort of beginning to grapple with fatness as something that isn't just to be tackled. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, if a fat person says it, then it's maybe just them going, oh, just please be nice to me because I'm fat. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Which is kind of horrifying. Um, and in terms of the gender divide, I'm really happy around um, Women and trans people, I'm going to say. I'm just going to put it like that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy in that in that group. Yeah. Even finding other activists and other artists and people who had made stuff about fatness, apart from Scotty in Manchester yeah. now, um, was based on London at the time. Um, apart from that, there weren't many other people that I could find with and connect with uh, who weren't uh, cis women. Yeah. And... I was sort of okay with that. Yeah. Um, and I I felt quite welcomed into spaces whenever I whenever I sort of went into them. Um in Australia, which is the main place we did Cake Daddy, um I was I was welcomed enthusiastically by um a lot of fat women um and women of color. Um, and it was, that was an incredible experience. Um, but again, not many men were part of that. Um, and this sounds like a tangent now, but I think certainly a lot of gay men, stroke queer men, um, who are fat, sort of are more drawn to the bear well, world. I mean, you you just get put there, don't you? I mean, you're still you're queer, you're yeah, fat. Yeah, like I I certainly yeah. got put there when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And which was cool for a bit because I was like, oh, there are guys here to fuck. Class. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fun. Um, and then now again to be very clear, I like this. I'm not. Um, uh, I have zero problems with with people sort of collecting together on a, mm. on a body size thing. The bear world is not for me. Mm. Um, often because most of them are on diets and I can't cope with that. <laughs> really? Oh, that's really interesting. When I've been in that space, fatness is whilst often objectified and... Mm made hot over the mm. last 20 years that has changed also to where you know, a bear is someone with a smattering of body hair um who likes wearing a leather waistcoat the odd time right. and fatness is has been further and further and further marginalized in that Interesting. within bear spaces mm. also a lot of bear spaces are men only and i don't even know what that fucking means yeah but i never ever have ever 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 in my life wanted to be in a space that is men only mm. um and I know that, you know, people need people need spaces that are for them to go and 
have fun and, and explore. But if it's a if it's a night in a nightclub, I'm I I don't and I think that needs to be men only. Mm. You know what I mean? How are we defining yeah. that? How yeah, that yeah. There's that that issue that word man. Because, what does that mean? Because you'd let me in. Yeah, I ain't no man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're yeah. not going to let my mate TJ in. Yeah, who was assigned female at birth, but is pure lad. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Where are we drawing the lines here? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how that, <laughs> um, and just and how that. So I think a lot, a lot of that, um, and a lot. If, if it's, okay, I'm just going off on a little tangent here in memory lane because you've sparked too many memories. Um, Do it. When I got when I got to Sydney in Australia, I met Kelly Jean Drinkwater, who was um, incredible to me, and and it's still incredible to me. She's a, a filmmaker and artist. Um, uh, she made a film called Aqua Porco, which is, is about um, fat swimming. It's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. It's tremendous. Amazing. She's an amazing artist and activist thinker. And just an absolute ride of a human, as we say on this island, um, which means a sexy person, but also just it can also just mean a generally amazing person. To be clear, mm-hmm. um, when I got there, so so some fat activists came, and some people who just liked theatre, some people who just liked cabaret, some people who just liked Irishness came. You know, whatever, <laughs> great, delighted with all of them coming, and some of the bear community came too, which was very nice, but very very few of them, and the ones who did come sort of wanted to come to recruit me and then show me off yeah. to their mates. Right. And whilst I'm not claiming there was any ill intent in that, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not blaming them for that. Mm. That made me feel so gross. Yeah. Um, because there wasn't really much connection with what this with what with what the point of Cake Daddy was, which was um Fuck anti fatness was the yeah. point of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good way. It should have been cake daddy. Fuck anti fatness. That's how you, you should know. have. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, and even the the chats that we had after with with that sort of demographic, I suppose it's it's a problematic word, but you know what I mean. With that demographic of people afterwards. We're sort of talking about how sexy I looked in my various costumes. And I was like, that's great. Thank you. Uh, but um, yeah. what else? What? <laughs> what did you actually take away from this? <laughs> but even though it was a tangent, it does say a lot. I mean, it's it's something that I've thought about a lot that I don't I don't actually, you know, it's, it's one area where I don't see many cisgender men, um, which is sad, really, because, um, you know, anti-fatness impacts everybody um yeah and i feel that there is a big group of cisgender men out there that are struggling and are having to hide it because this is not, it's not that i don't think it's a community problem but for whatever reason just not part of this anti-fat community see more queer um um men people uh taking up um some space which is great which is what you want to see but even then as you say that there are certain communities like I, I really didn't know that I mean the bear community has always been traditionally in my mind and of course like you know I haven't been out for a while um but when I was younger and in my 20s and heading out to bars the bear community was always the kind of like the what I would have described as the accepting kind of fat accepting part of the community yes, like, you know very much so and still is in 
within parameters. Right, right. Well, which that's really sad. It's, it's so sad that you know that Fabia is is killing queer spaces, which used to be the one time, one place where you felt like, oh, okay, I I, I feel like people are generally more tolerant and are accepting. But perhaps I'm learning that that's that's more a dream than the reality. Um, I think it is a dream. My I mean, my experience of of working in the queer communities, I suppose, in Belfast and the queer arts sector and the queer sort of activist sector is that anti-fat bias is alive and well <laughs> fat phobia is alive and well and whilst they'll be kind to fat people mm-hmm. the sort of i think the connection i used to be really angry about this but i'm much less now mostly for my health um and also i realized i, I can't change everybody's mind i can't climb inside people's minds and, and <laughs> make them learn shit yeah. um and they'll you know maybe they'll come to it in their own time but they haven't made that connection between it's the sort of same vectors of oppression that keep queer people in their place mm. that are sort of controlling the sizes of people's bodies. Yeah. You know what I mean? That ultimately come from white supremacy. <laughs> it always comes down you know, to white fucking um, how well you're doing fucking whiteness is what that is about yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Um, but I think they haven't quite made that connection. Um, even the people who are quite progressive and 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 sort of lefty queers, yeah. still. Well, and I think a lot of that comes down to health. I'm putting that in the air bunnies. Yes. Um, a lot of that comes down to health, because what they then think is, um, oh yeah, but you should be thinner for your health so yes. that's not an issue of queerness that's an issue of um that's an issue of you know personal responsibility and you know making sure that problem is even if it were to do with health even if being thinner and getting thinner were to make you healthier mm. um that does not excuse the assumptions that people even in the sort of queer leftist progressive spaces talk and think about fatness right do you know yeah I mean I'm I'm I never feel to feel to be amazed at how some of my harshest critics uh, especially on social media you go to their profile and they're you know as, as profoundly left as you know one can get you know you've got your free Palestine and your you know your black lives matter and, yep. and everything you know and, yep. and then and then you think God, you, you really are coming at me. Um, and you don't get that it's all stems from the same place. And you know, how can you how can you talk Black Lives Matter? I mean, I always think people who talk Black Lives Matter nowadays, especially those who really don't understand the movement, are just saying it to be cool. But um, you know, you can't possibly even claim to be an anti-racist if you're not addressing fat phobia and the origins of fat phobia. It's yeah, you know, the two are very much the same. Um, I think that and I and I love how this is just brought us full circle back to jessica wilson's book our pal mm-hmm. jessica jess yeah. no i don't let's not shorten the name that's taking it too far too far jessica jessica <clears throat> and, <laughs> i sincerely hope that <laughs> she's listening <laughs> and laughing at us um so we deserve to be laughed at in this we deserve instance. we deserve it um yeah. so another thing that i highlighted and I think this is why this book is so important. She says black black women will never come close to the body ideal that whiteness upholds. Thin mm. will never be thin enough. 
to mm-hmm. tame a black woman's body. And I think later on, she says something along the lines of, you know, thinness and whiteness kind of, well, thinness as a, as a means of taming black. And I think she uses the word savagery and um, mm. that imagery is beautiful. But just this idea, and I think this is why I feel so strongly and I'm always saying to people learn from black creators. You know, my, my, I'm lucky I got kicked off Instagram twice. And now my third attempt at Instagram, I'm following very few people and almost all of them are black. And so, <laughs> and you. Um, and so uh, my, when I like, Uh, you know when I'm actually scrolling if I do I try not to scroll but when I'm scrolling I'm lucky Mm -hmm. enough that my feed is predominantly um black black people uh so everything I see all the bodies I look at all the imagery that I'm you know all the quotes that people quote are coming from black women and it's so important because like like Jessica says it doesn't matter how thin you are you will never ever ever be able to make that meet that body ideal like it's it's impossible for you to access so in a way black women learned that from like you know two um they've learned it from the beginning so Mm -hmm. they have an understanding of that that perhaps other people don't so we can learn so much and for a long time i think and if we're honest you know a lot of white people get upset about the way they're treated as a fat person because they're being treated in the same way as, especially in the healthcare, for example, in the same way as like, basically they're saying, I yeah. don't want to be treated like a black person. That's yeah. basically what they're saying, There's right? You're, ju- you're judging me based on my appearance and I don't want to be treated like that, but that's what happens to black people. That's life. That is what mm-hmm. it, that is the, your, your existence as a black person. So, so um, read this book. It's bloody awesome. Like you have to read it. It's so good. Yeah. And, you know, there is not much money being pumped into PR and advertising and stuff. And these books never get money pumped into advertising. So books are never successful unless people are spending money on advertising. Yes. So it's it's got to be a grassroots effort. We've got to get the name and the book out there. Please read it. It is called, as I said before, I, I know the, the name of the book, but I know what's the um the byline. That's the important bit. Uh, not the byline. Do you know what I mean? It's it's called, it was always, it's always been ours, rewriting the story of black women's bodies by Jessica Wilson. Um and it's available everywhere. Ebook, paperback, whatever. Yep. Um Russ, this was good. We'll do this again. We we got yeah, maybe, we should we got a tenth of what needed to be say into one episode. So that's a lot means- to say. We need ten more, and then we'll come up with a lot more, more things to say. So, Wonderful. yeah, we'll make it. A, we'll make you a regular. Ah, Good. It was quite oh easy God, to recruit you as well. I really liked that. I said, "Hey, Ross, do you want to be in a podcast?" And you said, "Sure, when?" And that was really easy. <laughs> that was dead easy. I was like, uh, yeah. "Next week." Perfection. <laughs> if only everyone was just as easygoing as you. Um, thank you so much. Thank for you for having me. I love your podcast. I love listening to it. I'm delighted to be on it. As for me, check out my website, www.fatdoctor.co.uk for more information about what I'm up to and what I have on offer. Folks, creating and maintaining a podcast requires long hours and lots of cash to burn. I love this podcast. I love pouring my heart and soul into everything that I do, but it isn't always easy. So if you'd like to support me and the work that I'm doing, I have a Patreon page. All the details are available on my website and in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I look forward to catching up with you next week.